me, and then he, in the end, in a prayer, he said he thanks God for me. I don't know about that, so a little insincere, maybe. Anyway, our children are going to church, and we uh, trust that God will give them a great time studying God's Word and learning more about Jesus. Uh, we did have a great weekend, uh, a couple Thanksgiving banquets on uh, Friday night and Saturday night. We were packed on Friday night, and every table was filled on, on Saturday night. We had uh, great food by Patsy and her team, and we had opportunity to uh, hear some great music, plus a couple testimonies. And each, uh, each, uh, each night, it was great to hear how God is working in the lives of people and how God touches people in a very personal way. It's interesting, as we think about what we are as a church, we're all about really presenting Jesus to people, and it's, it was just great hearing the stories. Um, but we need to recognize that sometimes when we tell people about Jesus, they, they won't always say yes to the invitation. And we learned that last night because um, Lynn, who is a legend uh, to many people, um, is that she was sharing her story, and her, past, her father happens to be a pastor. Some of you have had opportunity to meet him, uh, Sam, and and as he was uh, preparing her for that moment where he, she would give her life to Jesus Christ and invite him into her heart, he, he popped the question. And I think we always uh, should pop the important questions to people because if we don't, they're not going to have the opportunity to make that decision and that choice to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. And so he thought that Lynn was ready and asked her to make that commitment, and she said no. And we found out last night the reason she said no, because uh, Sam, her father, asked her why. Why don't you want to ask Jesus into your life? And he says, well, I, I don't want to have the surgery. And he goes, what do you mean you don't want to have the surgery? Well, for Jesus to come in my heart, they're going to have to open up a hole in my heart so you'll fit in. <laughs> and so sometimes we communicate uh, what it means to follow Christ, and people don't quite get it because uh, maybe we're using some word pictures that doesn't make a sense to them. And of course, we're in, uh, we're in good company because Jesus did that, didn't he? In John chapter 3, where that familiar verse, John three sixteen, is found, he, he told uh, Nicodemus, who was an adult, uh, that he needed to be born again. He didn't quite get that because he thought he was going to have to crawl into his mother's womb. And, and so we need to make sure people understand what it means to, to know Christ. I was thinking about a, a story I heard about this little boy who was in Sunday school. His name was Tommy. And the Sunday school teacher was uh, telling uh, him and the rest of the people in the class about heaven and made heaven sound so awesome. It's going to be awesome when we see God face to face and live in eternity with him in a place he's prepared for those who know him. And at the end, uh, she popped the question, too. How many want to go to heaven? Well, every hand was raised except Tommy's. And so she asked Tommy, said, Tommy, don't you want to go to heaven? And he said, well, well, yes, but I can't. Well, why can't you? Because, uh, you know, I thought you wanted to go right now. (laughs) And then secondly, my mom told me I had to come home right after Sunday school. (laughs) So sometimes we communicate the message and people aren't quite getting it. And sometimes the people don't get it because they need a little bit further explanation. And that happened with Jesus, with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, kind of presenting again about what it means to know God in a personal way and make that total radical change of living for self and now living for God. But as we think about that, sometimes people don't say yes to Jesus because they don't quite understand it. And then sometimes they don't say yes to Jesus because they, they simply don't want to. And the reason they don't want to is because they've, they've looked at his followers and they aren't that impressed. They, they wonder about the reality of who, who Jesus is because sometimes they don't see him in the lives of his followers. And so as we think about the reason we come to places like this on a regular basis and worship together and as we gather together throughout the week in, in life groups and study God's word and spend personal time with him, 
It's for the purpose of, of knowing him better, but also so that, that as we grow closer to him, then the result is that Christ becomes more evident in us. And then when people see us, they, they see that Jesus is real. And, and so this morning, the, the message title is Seeing Christ at Church. And, and hopefully that's a passion of our lives. We're, we're, we're in a series in the book of Ephesians where Paul really is passionate about communicating that to the church at Ephesus. And he's also passionate about communicating to that to the church in Alicia Viejo, uh, known as Grace Hills Church, and any other church in our surrounding area, that he wants its people to live in such a way that people can see Christ in them individually and also collectively as what he calls the church. Now, your outline this morning, as, as I prepare each week, uh, sometimes I get, I get a little overexcited. I, I put too many things in it, and that was kind of one of the cases this morning. So, so I'm going to rush through some things, but then I want to center on the things I really want to spend more time with. You know, what, what are we as a church, a Grace Hills Church? Do, do we have a, a clear idea what we should be about? And, and I, I would say yes, and that's what we call our purpose or our passion as a church. Uh, our, our purpose is to honor God, honoring God by helping people, by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. When we honor God, we live in such a way that, again, people can see Jesus in us. And there's a purpose. When we, people see Jesus in us, then we want more people to follow after us as we follow after Jesus. That, that's what we're all about. But what's the process? How are we supposed to do that? Well, we, uh, we kind of put that in a, in a game plan, and it's called the OWLS. And it's on your outline this morning. And it, and it really speaks about how we can all be involved in that. Uh, the O stands for oikos. And if you've been with us, and I've had some people where we don't talk about or define that word every week. That's a Greek word that we use to picture what was true in the New Testament, and it's true today, is that most people come to know Jesus by knowing people who know Jesus. That doesn't sound too <laughs> profound, but that's how it happens. It is, most people come to know Jesus because they know somebody else who knows Jesus, and they have what they want. And, and so we're all on mission. We're all to reach those, those people in our relational world that don't know Christ friends and family, and particularly people local that we can invest our lives in and just love on them. And try to be a person that people could see Christ in us. So we ought to all be praying for those five to ten people in our relational world that don't know Jesus and, and try to make an impact on them. God's the only one who can make the change, but we want to live in such a way that we strategically live so that we see that we're on mission. The W stands for worship. And, and that's not only what happens in a place like this when we gather collectively to worship. And worship is simply coming to that place where we we honor God, we glorify God, we try to manifest who he is and the words we, we speak and the, and the lives we live. And, and that ought to be done at home and it ought to be done at work and it ought to be done in our neighborhoods where we live. We ought to we'll live a life of worship, a lifestyle that reflects who God is. And the L stands for life groups. That's, that's where we gather together and we encourage one another and we kind of push one another. I know some people don't like that word push, but sometimes we need to be pushed spiritually. And encouraged and supported. And we ought to be in those kind of relationships where we, we always want to get closer to God and, and be more faithful in our following Him. And that ought to result in the S and that service, that we, we use our gifts and our talents in such a way that we make an impact by the gifts and the specific things we can do for God. If you, if you are very particular in, in looking at outlines, I did make an error this week. On the life group, it's connecting with God, with people in God's Word. God's word is what changes us. And so that's why we, we give those little booklets each, each week as well. Uh, personal time with God is you, you just spend time with him and, and pray with him and talk with him out of God's word. 
Well, that's the part I threw in there for free, and then I thought, if I, if I really spend any time on that, I won't get to the message. So that was just, that's just part of the introduction. We haven't started the message yet, all right? Well, I, I did give you the, the main idea this morning. The idea is, can we see Christ at church? And if we can see at Christ at church, what would that look like? What will, what will people, and what should people see if they really see Jesus? Now, whenever we speak about Jesus out of God's word, when people preach or teach or just have conversations about God, they're going to hear about Jesus. Well, how are we supposed to see him? Now, hopefully we all realize I'm not talking about some kind of physical manifestation of Jesus kind of coming up here on stage and we see him. And of course, we'd all be surprised what he would look like. He probably would not look like any picture we've ever seen of Jesus on some kind of painting. Um, He'd probably be a lot shorter than we would have thought. He probably wouldn't have the long flowing hair. And uh, if he had a beard, it'd be a lot better than Brandon's, whatever it might be. All right. We, we, we don't know exactly what he would look like. Uh, and that's not what God wants us to present some kind of, uh, you know, uh, what would you call that when they, they throw the, the picture holograph? Is that what it is? Some kind of hologram. Okay. He doesn't want us to come to church and see some kind of hologram of Jesus. All right. But he, but he wants us to live like Jesus. So, so Jesus' character and nature and, and who he was and is, is seen in us. So they say, that's, that's what I want. I, I put it this way in your outline. What should people see at church if they see Christ at church? They should see Christ is able to change lives. So many people in life, they go down a certain path, and after a while, they say, life is the way it is, and it's going to always be that way. I, I, I can't change. And most of my circumstances that I want changed are not going to change. And I feel hopeless. The people ought to see at church. And when I see at church, I don't mean just on Sundays. I mean throughout the week, where, wherever God's people go. And particularly when they do it together, they, they ought to see... They have a Christ that changes lives. There's hope for me. It's all about Christ. It's not about us. It's about pointing to Christ. Now, the way they're going to be convinced of that is the second thing I put down there. They ought to see changed lives. They have seen in our lives that, that, that <laughs> there are things that are different about us than other people. Not that we're perfect, not that we don't have a lot of things still to be changed in our lives. And, and people have a, they have a, they have a eagerness to tell that to me all the time. You know, you, you have some things you still haven't got right yet. And that's all right, because there are a lot of things that still need to be changed in my life. But, but hopefully in all of our lives, they see something that's different. And they point to there's a Christ that has changed them. And how they see life, how we live life, what's important to us how we treat people, how we respond to how people treat us, no matter how they treat us, what we're, what we're investing in, what's important to us. So as, as Paul writes this, this letter to the church at Ephesus, who's surrounded by people who are religious in a frenetic, frantic way, worshiping uh, the goddess Diana in, in all its... Uh, Orgies of, of lifestyle. All of it's prostituting their lives before a world filled with sensual desires. 
He says, I want you to live in a, in a world filled with darkness with light. I, I want people to see Jesus in you. And seeing Jesus in us begins at church in our relationships with each other. And that's why it's, it's not just on a Sunday, but it, it can be visualized on a Sunday, but also throughout the week that, that people see Jesus in us. Imperfectly as we live that out, but that's our desire. Now, Paul, as we've said over and over and over again, Paul, as, he, as he's leading up to this dramatic and powerful challenge for them and for us to live like that, he tells us, first of all, how we can. And how we can is because all that God has done for us and continues to do for us. We who are, are, are feeling that we're tied to our past, he said, you don't have to be tied to the past because all things have become new. Old things have passed away. Uh, those of you who felt, well, you don't know the family I was raised in. I want you to know you're now in a new family. I've adopted you into my family. Those of you who are burdened because of all the mistakes, all the things you've done wrong in the past, I want you to know that you're forgiven. For those of you who are tie- feel that you're tied to the habits that, that bring you down, he said, I've set you free. For those of you who say, how can I love others when, when I, have, I feel I've never been loved? He said, I love you. And for those of you who say, well, I'm just not that strong on the inside. He said, I've placed my spirit within you. And I've given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. I've given you all the magnificent problems. I've blessed you with everything. There's nothing missing in your life. It's not your DNA. It's not your, 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 where you were raised in a family. It's not where you used to live. It's not what you've done in the past. It's what your future has for you as you simply live Trusting me for all that I have done and will continue to do. But as he as he builds that picture of, of a new identity in Christ, you are brand new in Jesus. He then says, now, now I want you to live it out. And so this morning I want to begin because what's going to happen in our as we continue and finish this series in the book of Ephesians. He says, I want you to live it at church. This is this is our learning ground. This is where we huddle and, and, and practice it. This is how we uh, are committed in relationship with each other to, to say, well, I, I want to be that kind of person. And then I, I want you to make sure you plant that in your home as well. Behind closed doors and no one sees you that yeah, you need to live that way at home. And, and not only at home, but he'll go on and say, I want you to live this out in the work life. And he talks about masters and, and slaves, and that would be like our employers, employees. I, I want you to live this out wherever you live, whether it's at school or at work in your neighborhood. I want you to live this out. And, he's, and he paints this picture in broad brushes as well as, as we'll see, and we have seen to a certain degree, in very fine print as well. I, I want you to live a selfless life. I want you to live a life in dependence upon me. And I want you to live a life realizing this is your source of greatest joy. When you please me, you'll experience life's greatest joy. So what will that look like? This morning, I want to, I want to give you five things to hang this on that we've already looked at four of them. And then we're going to look at the fifth one this morning. He says, I want you to walk in a certain way. Uh, I think I've told some of you this before. But, uh, I remember uh, we just finished... 
you know, that, ma- that, that holiday that is, is, I think, in America, I think we spent $6 billion on it or something like that. It was uh, on October 31st. What was that date? Ha- Halloween, okay? I, I, people like to dress up and present themselves looking like something else and different. And my wife made me look like Huckleberry Finn. And most people looked at me and said, what are you? I, I'm Huckleberry Finn. When you have to explain what you are, somehow that costume didn't work real well, all right? But anyway, you know, my, you know we, we put on things and we have fun and just laugh with people, and in my case, laugh at people, whatever it might be. But I remember one particular Halloween or costume party I was at, and I, you know, I did it right, man. I did it right. No one, no one figured out who I was. I mean, they figured out what I was, but they didn't know who I was. They didn't know who was behind the costume that I had put together. Except later on in the evening, a person figured it out. And you know how they figured it out? Because they looked at how I walked. They, they could see that... Okay, that's how Mike walks. And they came, I know who you are. I go, no, you don't know. I, and, I said, and, then they, and I said, well, how do you think you know? And they said, because I've watched how you walk. Now, that was a physical, you know, steps that I had taken that they could just notice. And sometimes, you know, I'd walk a little bit more on my toes than other people and stuff like that. And so they, they, that's, that's Mike's walk. And I just hope and trust that when people see us, I don't care what kind of mask we were behind, if we were doing other type of activity, but they could somehow see that's a Christ follower. Before maybe we had put it on our lapel, before we may have even spoken it in a verbal sense, they could say, I think there's something about that person that points to something beyond just how a person is naturally. There's got to be something on the inside. And then they find out that's Jesus. And the reason they saw that is because how he walked. Now, in Ephesians, he says, he says that in a variety of different ways to try to illustrate that. And then he gives details under each one of them. But he says, I want you to walk a worthy walk. And that's the first one. And, and then he talks about, I want you to walk differently. And then he says, I want you to walk in love. Then I want you to walk in light. And what we'll look at this morning, depending upon our time, I want you to walk wisely. And, and all those are pictures of how, how we should want to live in such a way that's that people could see Christ in us. And it begins seeing Christ at church. Now, if you've been in churches for any length of time and been in a variety of churches, sometimes that's the last place you see Christ. Because you see people fighting with each other. You see people gossiping about each other. You see people holding grudges. You see people more concerned about things that don't matter than things that do matter. You see people who are are, are hopeless rather than filled with hope. You see people who aren't filled with joy, but they're more despair. Uh, There's all kinds of word pictures that we can describe people who come to church. Now, some of that is legit. Let's just be honest. Partly because you have people who are coming that are seeking that. They're, they're coming in, they're checking it out, and they still bring all their baggage. But it's not just people who are coming that haven't made that step of faith. It's, it's also us who are in the family. And, and we are, for a variety of reasons, either struggling with something that God hasn't matured us in yet, or maybe we're saying no to God and feeling we can go our own way, and we feel, well, that's not that bad. I know some people who aren't. You were worse than I am that claim to be Christ. There's all kinds of things that can cause us to be off mission. And the reason we go to God's word is to to kind of, again, be kind of slapped in the face a little bit with the say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm on mission. People are looking at me. And it's not only my um, pleasure to follow God personally for what it does for me, but what I do affects others. 
So Paul writes to them, so I want you to understand, because of all that Christ has done for you, I want you to walk a worthy walk. I want you to walk differently. I want you to walk in love. I want you to walk in light. And I want you to walk wisely. All right, well, let's, let's look at that briefly this morning. Okay. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says this, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, and Paul had, he had some uh, credibility here because he was living in an environment that was not the most positive. I am a prisoner, not only of the Lord, but he was a prisoner of Rome as well. Beseech you, beg you, may I say, push you, I'm pushing you to walk, what's the next word there? Worthy. Worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, um, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, and then he goes on and on and on. Let me just touch base here for a moment. We ought to walk each day, and look at all of us, forget this, all of us don't begin the day this way. Uh, some of you are much more spiritual than I am. Maybe you do it every day, but as I get up saying, my lifestyle, and that's what the word walk means, I'm not talking about those little steps we take, go from point A to point B, should be in such a way that it's worthy of what God has already done for me and continues to do for me. Have you ever watched one of those movies or read one of those books where they talk about someone, maybe in, particularly in certain cultures, where if you were somehow the person that saves someone's life physically, maybe they were drowning and you dove in, you brought them to the shore, and, and afterwards, uh, you know, they thanked you, and then as you started to walk, they started to walk with you, and wherever you went, they went, and they said, what are you doing? Well, now that you've saved me, my life is dedicated to you, and I, I, I'm going to serve you the rest of your life. No, no, you don't need to do that. No, no, no. You, you saved me, and so I'm going to do everything I can just to please you. I, I owe that to you because of what you did for me. I wouldn't be alive apart from you. And so as you think about each one of these things, it's not only an action plan, but it's also that which should motivate us. Why should we walk in, you know, in a way that pleases God? Because we want to be worthy of all that he's done for us. We've been rescued. We've been saved. We should be the most motivated people on all of this planet to live a life that honors God because we recognize all he's done for us. He goes on and, 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 he, and he speaks, well, this will look a certain way. And I just listed eight of them. Actually, all of chapter 4, kind of not all of chapter 4, much of chapter 4 illustrates in very specific ways. A a worthy walk is a humble walk. It's a a walk that it's filled with meekness. And I define it this way, under control. Do you ever, you find yourself sometimes just out of control? Ever, anybody that way? I had that this week. I was was working on a project um, this morning, uh, this, this week. Uh, at home and it wasn't working you ever have those things it was supposed to be 20 minutes and then it went an hour and then it went two hours and then it went three hours and after a while i was just out of control all right i kept talking to the screws and to the screwdriver and the drill bits and the drawer and the leveler you know i mean i'm and all of a sudden you know i'm thinking okay i'm going to talk about being under control and i can't even get under control fixing a drawer all right and that's going to happen. There's going to be buttons in our lives that just push us. And at that point, we just need to run to Jesus. God, you need to, you need to get me under your control because I'm getting out of control. 
And so it, it's an ongoing battle, but it's the challenge. That the reason I want to do that, I mean, other than Alice hearing me frustrated, you know, what's going on in there? You know, that kind of stuff. Is uh, no, no one, you know, no one else is around. But, but obviously, you know, it, it was a reflection of, of my uh, ability to depend upon God in the midst of a frustrating experience. God wants us to be people who are under God's spirit control so that we're under control. That's what meekness is. It's power under control. And it begins with humility because humility, real action, I can't do it on my own. I'm not, you know, it's, I've, I've got, you know, my, my, my rope has already gone to the end, okay, and I need to be extended by him. And, and it's worthy of that because he lived a life under control. Can you imagine? I, I can't imagine it because sometimes I'm in situations where, you know, maybe I'm in a power situation uh, and, and I know I can, you know, uh, inflict my uh, whatever on somebody. And and realize, okay, that's not the right thing to do. Oh, yeah, I know, but I can do it. And I, but no, you don't have to do it. And that's what Jesus entire. You know, can you imagine the most powerful being in the world? Being mocked. And he could have done anything. To that. But he chose not to. Because he was under the Spirit's control. He walked a walk that he wants us to walk. To be under control in situations that, that will reflect who we follow, which is Jesus. He goes on, not only humility, under control, patience. Uh, I have to be careful because all these things we could preach on. Yeah, patience, uh, the old word I told you when we answered the series, is really a term in the Greek that means to suffer long. And... Some of you have gone through that, and Maria has gone through that. Uh, how many days? 66, 67 days, whatever it might be with the, with the foot. Is This is the challenge for us to, when things don't go right for a long period of time, to be willing to hang in there. And sometimes we come to the point, God, okay, I, I've learned the lesson, let's move on. But whatever it might be, he adds days. And uh, so this is, this is how Christ is seen in us. Uh, God, God's not, uh, people are not that impressed when everything goes right in our life. Have you found that to be true? I mean, if everything's going right, what do you need God for? But when things are going wrong, that's when our faith can demonstrate itself. So I, I'm just illustrating this to say that God wants us to walk a worthy walk. And to recognize that, again, all these things are, are shown in the life of Jesus. Did Jesus suffer? Of course he did. Did he, did he suffer immensely, undeservedly? He did. And that's, that's the life that we're now following. That's a worthy walk to follow after the one who's already done much more than we've ever done to live this out. Why should we forgive? Because we're forgiven. Why should we uh, speak the truth? Because God has spoken the truth to us. Why should we be joyful? Because God has given us his joy. Why should we serve? Because he came not to be served, but to serve. So walk a worthy walk. But Paul goes on. He knows that sometimes people go, ah, I don't know. That doesn't make, you know, sometimes they think God says the same thing in different ways because we hear it more powerfully when it's said in a different way. And, and so he goes on and in. in Philippians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul, all these things are related in terms of a lifestyle, the walk, your pattern of life. And he said, okay, let me say it this way. 
Verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Now, I put it this way, walk differently. Basically, he's saying, I don't want you to be like everybody else. I don't want you to walk like the world walks. Paul said in Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of all God has done, uh, to live in such a way that you give yourself completely and fully to him. And then he goes, and do not be conformed to this world. Which simply says, don't just do what everybody else does. They don't get it. They don't understand. And so he speaks very pointedly in that way. And we went through that, that rest of that, that text. It says, now how you do that is realize you, you've given the old life away. Not just live out the new life. Have a different perspective of life. Um, I, I was at a funeral yesterday. And it was interesting. It was a, a good friend of ours. Uh, Bill and Judy Mann were there as well. And uh, he, uh, Don and Mary Alford. And, and, and Don, uh, Don is... Uh, uh, well, I have to be careful. Long story here. Don is the more salty one, and Mary was the more sweet one. I can't relate to that in my family, but anyway, uh, their uh, their two their two daughters were given part of the eulogy for Mary, and and they said, you know, I I just wish I was more like my mom, but I have to admit I'm more like my dad. But they realize there's a difference. But Paul goes, well, you know, maybe walk a worthy walk. You know, walk a life differently. How about this? This let's go for the juggler. All right, let's go for the highest thing you can do. How about walk a, a walk of love? Uh, look at Ephesians chapter five, verses one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. What, what does it mean to walk in love? And I, I think it's, it's tied even to that verse 2 where he talks about a, a sacrifice. It, it, it's living life sacrificially. It's living life unselfishly. It, it's looking at your agenda. Do I do things for myself to, to benefit me? Am I running from uh, uh, difficulties because I, I'm not sure I can handle it and I, and I, I just want to do uh, live the life that's more at ease? Or am I willing to give of myself? We, we talked about love. Love primarily is understood as, as giving. And so I want you, I want you to, to live a life where people can see Christ in you. Live a life worthy. Worthy of all that God has done for you. And, and live a life that he lived. Filled with humility and, and even willing to, to suffer and suffer long. I, I want you to live differently. I don't want you to just follow the patterns of, of this, this world. I don't want you to be so concerned about self. I want you to live a life of love, which is speaking not only what we do, but how we do it. And then last week, we looked at also in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. I want you to, I want you to, walk, I want you to walk in the light. You know, a, a, a light... When we walk in the light is that we, we walk in such a way that we're, 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 we're unashamed to live in such a way that when people are seeing us, they're seeing that which is authentically and genuinely us. And we do nothing that brings shame upon God and upon what he wants us to be and to do. 
We talked about that and encourage you to go through those verses and those passages that surround those walking. But now he turns the corner. And this is what the whole message was going to be, but then I added too many things. So I want you, I want you to live lives that are wise. We're going to go back in the future and look at these, some of these things in more detail. But look at Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. He says in verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now, some of you have different translations there. Say in the New American Standard, I think it simply says, so that you See that you not walk unwisely, but as wise. It's interesting that the King James uses, or New King James, uses the word circumspectly. Anybody have any clue what that word means? I didn't either. I had to look it up. All right. So circumspectly, it's interesting as we get our English translations, we will sometimes draw upon other translations from other languages, and sometimes we'll go directly to the Greek language. But initially, circumspectly is more of a Latin term. It comes from two words to mean looking around. And when you try to put a word picture to this in terms, what does it mean to look wisely? Is that when you go through life, do you just go through life haphazardly? Or before you make a choice, a decision, uh, do, do, you, do you look around first? You know, is, is, is this going to be the right thing to do at this moment? From the Greek, actually, it means um, to, to look, uh, to... Uh, Go through life precisely. Now, most of you know that, that Mark's my son who uh, uh, leads worship here. And so, some of you have seen you know, Matt and my other son who plays guitar. And some of you don't know my history of musically. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I have uh, not done a whole lot musically. But there were a few times where when I was in banning, we, we would have these uh, all-church campouts. And for a variety of reasons, no one else could come. And so I realized that I had practiced my guitar for a while. And... And um, and I practiced for three months to play four songs. All right, so we would we would have that, and 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 we would you know we'd lead worship a couple times, uh, actually about three times during our our church campouts. We'd go to a place and people would bring tents or or fifth wheels or whatever it might be, and we'd have a great time with inter, intergenerational worship and all kinds of different games and different stuff we would do, and and then um, I, I I'd kind of lead worship with some other people up there. Well, you know if when I was playing and I was hitting the right notes. You know, it worked okay. But then when I look out, and my kids already knew more guitar than I did, and when I started hitting wrong chords, when I didn't hit them precisely, they started laughing. <laughs> and when you, when you don't think, do things precisely that need to be done precisely, you know, it, it shows. In that particular case, it, it sounded, all right? Because I didn't hit the right chord. And people were trying to sing a song with some kind of tune that wasn't connected to the chord I hit. And that's what he said, look, if you want to have people see Christ in you, you need to live a life that is lived precisely. That you think about what you're doing before you do it. That you look around. I mean, there are times I've done foolish things, you know, like this last summer when I jumped from one tree to another tree without looking around quite as clearly and as definitely as I, I could and had this major fall. Well, it was I, you know, I said, is this, is this the wisest thing to do at this moment? Have I made sure I'm in the right place at the right time? Sometimes when we fall into things, we wonder, how did this happen? And God is saying, what do you mean, how did it happen? You didn't look around before you made that choice. You, you, you weren't living a precise life. 
And so, not that we won't make mistakes and jump before we look a few times, but, but we need to recognize, first of all, when we do that, that we admit it and not feel somehow some cosmic uh, choice up in heaven was made and God put that on us. It was, it was a choice that we made. We didn't, we didn't think or look or with precision say, is this, is this something that's going to be God-honoring or is this going to be a foolish choice? He goes on in this text, and I don't have time to go through it, but we'll look at it in previous time. He goes, so then you walk circumspectly, wisely, looking around precisely, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. One way we look wisely or we act wisely, we walk wisely, is we just recognize we only have so much time in a day, in a week, in a lifetime. The, the, the reason I got so frustrated this week was not so, so much that I was surprised that I had more difficulty fixing this thing than, than I thought. I thought that might happen. But when it got longer and longer, I'm thinking, this is not how I want to invest my time, spending this amount of time doing this project. I hate wasting time. Now, we ought to have fun with our time. We ought, I mean, I, I'm not being ridiculous about time but we only have so much time and and how we're using it we need to buy it up that's what it means to redeem the time we all it we all have the same amount of time how we invest in it that's that's walking in a way that people see jesus in us because we don't waste time and we enjoy time we use time but we don't waste it he goes on and says, but also once you realize that uh, this is also the wise walk. Verse 17, therefore, do not be unwise, but, unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Which, which is a whole series of messages on its own is that walking wisely. said, I don't want to go through life simply depending upon myself. When I have the Spirit of God living within me, why would I waste it being under the influence of something else? And we all know that when, when people drink too much wine and they're pulled over or beer or alcohol, whatever it might be, harder drinks, and when they get pulled over and the alcohol uh, limit is a certain level in their blood, they will be giving a D-U what? I, drinking under the influence. And so we, need, we don't want to be under the influence of anything other than the Spirit of God in our lives. They're resting upon Him. He goes on later and he says, uh, speaking in one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Then he says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the part that grabbed me was making melody in your heart to the Lord. How is it to walk wisely? It is, is, is to find your source of joy in Jesus and not all the other things in life. I, I enjoy all kinds of things. I'm I want to play volleyball tonight just to have fun with people. But that's not my source of joy. My source of joy is being with people but being with God. And then that, the life of service, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. It's, it's living a life unselfishly, submitting to one another around you. Now, we're going to unpack those a little bit later in this series. But let me go back to the beginning. Is God wants, as we think about living out the Christian life, we need to, first of all, do it here. With, when we're here together on a Sunday, but also throughout the week in life groups and as we interact with people, we want 
We want passionately to desire to have people see Christ in the church, see Christ in us. How's that going to happen? It's going to happen by how we live, how we walk. And what kind of walk should we live? A walk that is worthy of all that God has done for us. A, a walk that's, that's characterized as being different than how the world lives. It, it's a walk that's a walk in love. as we, We're not self-centered, but other-centered, caring about the needs of others. It, it's a walk in the light that we don't want to do anything that damages the, the, the testimony of, of God and who He is and His holiness and purity. We want to live a life that's wise. We, we are precise and, and we look around. We, we buy up the time. We, we depend upon the Spirit. We have a joy in our heart before the Lord and we unselfishly relate to one another as we submit to one another. I had a number of things I want to share with you by, by way of illustration, but let me just close with a, a word of praise. I, on um, Friday night, uh, you know, we had a packed house and, and uh, we had... Interesting enough, we had two, uh, in, in both Thanksgiving banquets, we, we had a number of people that were there for the very first time. In fact, Saturday night, I think half the people there had never been to one of our Thanksgiving banquets. And an, another praise is one of our ministries that we've uh, done over the last year, Jeannie Williams has headed that up, is English as a Second Language. And there were all kinds of people who came just by way of invitation from that class. But I had a chance to meet with three and, and, you know, I'm so gifted in language, uh, but I, I messed that all up. But, I, you know, I was trying to talk to them. They, they're from Iran, and they, had, uh, they, came, uh, they, had a, they have a Farsi language, and I was playing with them a little bit or talking with them. And I got to know their names. I think it's uh, Farog and Mitra and Ashadi. And after it was all over, you know, we had a chance to talk, and, and they came up to me, and they said, this, this was, you know, I, I can't mim- I'm not going to try to mimic their, their accent, but they, you know, uh, I would, but I shouldn't. Okay, so anyway, uh, uh, you know, they, they enjoyed the food. They enjoyed, you know, the music and everybody. And he goes, and this was, this was, no, I wasn't going to, okay. This was, this was the first time I'd ever heard a Christian prayer. And they go, this was so good. It was, this was the first time I heard Christian prayer. Now, I think the reason she came up, and actually the three of them came up, is because that, that night, somehow they saw Christ at church. Let's pray. Father, we want to be what you've made us to be. Jesus said when he came that he was the light of the world and then he told us that we were going to be lights in this world. And Father, we want to live in such a way as imperfectly as we do for the purpose of people seeing Christ in us and wanting uh, what we have. Father, help us to make that a passion and help us to be on mission. If there's anyone here this morning again that doesn't, doesn't have what only you can give, might they simply open up their, their heart not for physical heart surgery, but for spiritual surgery, where Christ will come in by way of invitation and commitment, and might they begin a new life in you. As we continue to worship and give unto you, might we just be so thankful for all that you've done in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.